everybody. It is episode three of Two Small Cokes and a Large Popcorn. I'm Rob and this is... Sarah! There we go. So what were we up to this week, Sarah? Remind me, first of all, the two films we've seen. So you chose from my list Aliens and I chose from your list City of God. So hopefully anyone who's listened to the first two eps might well have watched along. And just a reminder, that is what the podcast is all about. Sarah has her list of favourite films. I have my list of favourite films. And each week, we both select a film from each other's list, watch the films, get back together a week later, and ramble on about them. <laughs> ramble? We don't and ramble. Ho- hopefully it's interesting. Shall we, kick, shall we get started then and uh, kick it off with... Uh... City of God? Should we start with that one? Let's do it. So that was a film that I chose for you, Sarah. So just as a reminder, brief synopsis, this was a film that came off the crime genre list. Um, A film based in the favelas of Brazil between 1960 and the 1980s, based on a novel of the same name. Um, And it follows the story of... What a whole range of characters, really, told through the lens of one in particular, a boy called Rocket, who aspires to be a photographer whilst growing up with his friends who slowly get dragged in to the kind of gangland turf wars of the favelas, which are known as the City of God. As I say, there are lots and lots of characters, um, but it's told through Rocket's eyes, And one of his friends and some of the friends he grew up with effectively end up as these two kingpins in the favelas. He ends up on the fringe, not really getting too involved. And as I say, it's told told through his eyes with a narration, has a real kind of vibrant documentary style, ultra vibrant and ultra violent, I would say. So directed by um, Fernando Morelos and according to IMDB, co-directed with Katia Lund, Fernando Morelos comes from an advertising background. So this really was his first big feature and it made a huge, huge splash, not just in Brazil, um, but also internationally. I found it's very hard to watch this film without it making some kind of impact on you, whether it's whether that's positive or negative. <laughs> I would describe it as, as a film you simply cannot ignore or cannot get bored with, regardless of what you think. No, yeah. I'm going to hand over to you now, Sarah. Yeah, so, I mean, this film has been nominated for Oscars, Golden Globes, BAFTAs, for Best International Foreign Film, and it's actually my first foreign film believe it or not you've opened my eyes again the westerns and now foreign films oh my goodness so um it's oh it's quite a a tragedy really it's got a lot of uh it's got drugs involved violence family lifestyles i think i've been living completely in a bubble and not seen anything like this before um what it's like really in rio de janeiro is a true story Um, which I think makes it even more shocking than what you see in the film. So the whole film is in Portuguese. Um, To be honest, it did take me a little while to get used to the names of the people, because if I look down, I missed the person's name. So when I was writing notes to review this film, it was it was a little bit tricksy on that side. But it's, yep, set in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and it really does follow a group of kids or teenagers just running riot around... Rio de Janeiro there's very little 
empathy from these kids, very immature, and you're just seeing violence after violence, and it's really shocking. You're seeing even children killing children, which being a mother myself was quite heartbreaking to watch, to be honest. And you really, we start off the film with following the tender trio, uh, which is Shaggy, Clipper, and Goose. And they have brothers, which you also follow later in the film as well. So Goose's brother is is Rocket, who you've already mentioned. Um, and I think the only time you see a parent providing some guidance or influence is right at the start of the film, which is Goose's dad saying, no, you can't do this, you're being naughty, and no, I won't forgive you for this. And, and um, Goose telling his brother also to not pick up a gun and not shoot a gun which he follows throughout his life, I would say, as well. So that was the only time you saw a parent. I was thinking, where are the parents all the way through the film? Because they were just running riot. Really, it all opens your eyes when you see this, this probably six or seven-year-old kid called Little Dice, who is brought in part of this tender trio, and they go and do a raid on a motel, a local motel. That just kicks it off, and it runs right through to his, his teenage years. He is the kingpin, as you call him, or the drug lord of uh, Rio de Janeiro, but he has later on in life a um, competitor called Carrot, and they just basically got a group of kids or teenagers in their gangs. It's just gangs, uh, which is quite shocking. Now, Rocket, he's a, he's a good kid, really, um, but he does get a little bit tied up in some of uh, Little Dice, or you can call him uh, Little... Little Z's is the alternative name, which he's sort of christened by a shaman to be called Little Z. And that's when he kind of becomes a bit more of a man and is definitely more in that sort of drug dealer, drug lord um, lifestyle when he turns close to that name and, and feels a bit more prestigious with that. Um, we're not going to say, I'm not going to give too many details away because obviously you want to watch the film as well. For me, my favourite character probably was Benny, who was Little Z's buddy. And he was uh, just easily led at the start as a young man because we follow him as a, a very small child as well, being alongside Little Dice or now Little Z's character. Um, and older, he became very popular, uh, was a ladies' man, and it was almost a bit like the Godfather, supporting all the people that were around him in, the, in his, his village, or City of God, let's call it. But uh, Little Z didn't really like him being the top dog, but at the same time, Little Z would only really listen to him. He was a complete brother to him, and he grew up with him. He never saw any family from either side of them, so they were, you know, really close-knit. The film, I have to be honest, I was pretty torn on what to rate this film because for me, it's not really the film I would watch. It's not, I don't really like so much violence in a film. And also it's a foreign film and I probably wouldn't all necessarily watch a foreign film all the way through. But it was so well acted and directed. It opened my eyes on what was going on in Rio de Janeiro as a true education to me. I think I would give this film, or should I let you come back with your feedback first before I rate this film? Yeah, let me let me chime in because I know exactly what 
you mean it, it is it is it's a truly shocking film and the thing that i struggled with actually even watching it for the second time was you have to really try and find the the empathy uh, for these characters because on the face of it it is obviously very real and very violent although they are colorful characters and then and therefore very engaging to watch it is it is quite tough yeah but then you have to understand that this is the life of these children in the favelas in in brazil it doesn't shy away from from the truth and i think that's what makes it hard to, mm. what makes it hard to ignore there are apparently almost all of the the actors you see have never acted before and they almost all of them came from that favela itself yeah i did um, wonder that yeah there was only only the character of Carrot had acted before. And so that almost makes it even more incredible as a film that none of these kids had acted. Uh, they, were all, yeah. they were all drawing upon real life experience. And I think it's only when you look at it through that kind of lens that it makes it, if you like, palatable to watch as a, as a story in terms yeah. of the, you know, the harsh environment in which it's set. I thought from a cinematic point of view, it was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it looked amazing. The vibrant colours of the City of God itself, whenever we flashed back to the past, it was painted in this golden hue colour. Mm -hmm. you know, even the beach scenes, beautiful turquoise mm. seas. And that always juxtaposed when it flashed forward to the same environment, which was always painted in that darker kind of blue colour. I thought that was incredibly effective. I thought the energy of this film is incredible. It felt like the camera is just thrown in to a story, just thrown into to whatever happens to be going on in this place and just seems to roam around with these characters. So many of these scenes, it feels like you're just joining the scene as opposed to a start and a finish. You meet characters that on the face of it don't seem very important. And then half an hour later, they become integral to a certain part of the story. And this kind of open world fluid filmmaking, I think was incredibly, incredibly effective. So I think from a kind of technical standpoint and cinematic standpoint, I thought it was incredible. I thought the actors, again, the fact that so many of them had never acted before. And I thought that helped me anyway, forget about, not, you can't forget about it, but put aside the violence and try and understand this is actually, you know, the plight of a, a, lot, of, a lot of kids, teenagers go through. And I mm -hmm. thought there were some really interesting, you know, one of the lines that Rocket, as the narrator says, right at the beginning, he says, if, if, they, if they run away, they get you. And if you stay, they get you too. It's that, so it's that sense of being trapped. There's no, you know, your life, your life, if you happen to have grown up in this city of God, there's no, you know, there's nowhere to go. And even if you try and get out of it, you kind of, you can't, you can't escape yeah. it. There's something that's going to drag you back. Um, yeah. And I really, there was, there was some nice, there were some, you know, more poignant moments, not many. Most of them were just very hard to watch. I thought there was a really nice scene between one of the tender trio kids, Shaggy, and his girlfriend, yeah. Bernice, I Bernice. think. Yeah, Bernice. Bernice. And you've got Shaggy as this kind of hood, <laughs> hood as they're called, you know, trying it on with her. And 
she come she comes out with these three lines which i think sums up the the kids in in the slums it's, she says it says hoods don't love they desire that so she says hoods don't talk they smooth talk and then, <laughs> and then when he says oh i'm not you know i'm not going to I'm going to get out of this life of crime. She says, hoods don't stop, they take a break. And I thought it kind of perfectly sums up the nature of all these kids who are just trapped in this, yeah, yeah. In this world, which has no good, it has no good ending for them. And no. you're rooting for Rocket to try and navigate his way through this. He's, the, he's one of the few characters that actually, it, you know, manages to start a life in the outside world while still having these quite dangerous connections with his friends who are trapped on the other side of it mm -hmm. and and you mentioned benny benny although he is a partner of lil z and although he is like a drug lord if you like he seems to have a very black and white approach to it as in this is what i've done as a means to an end to get me to this point he meets somebody uh, falls in love and he wants the other side he wants what's on the other side of things he likes yeah. to go he asks he asks like one of his minion soldiers to go off and buy him some new clothes in the city yes, yeah that was he, funny he wants yeah. to embrace that other world and that other culture and he yeah. like you say is the one who seems very juxtaposed to little z who's only known one way of life and little z just can't fit in can he, he can't fit in yeah even when little z is is told by benny mate go and get a girlfriend you know yeah. like it just you've got to you've got to sort yourself out he tries yeah exactly it's quite funny when he tries to shut up this girl. It's almost like shouting at her face in this nightclub. <laughs> and the look on his face when she just walks off, you just think, oh, yeah. you haven't got a hope. Um, yeah, very, very yin and yang, I felt Benny and little Z were, and that's what that made them work very well together. But when they're on their own, when little Z was on his own, he was just struggling really so Benny was his it was gave him great balance really but you know you don't want to mess with Lil Z at all no He's, yeah. Oof, yeah he was and, awful and there were um for me there were two scenes in this that I genuinely found hard to watch mm. um the the group of tear away kids called the, the runts. runts that's right yeah. the runts these are <laughs> These are the, the really the young kids. I mean, we're talking about kids of like 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Even, even down to five, even I would say. To, yeah, you're yeah. probably right. And, and these are the kids that eventually Lil Z use. Um, he kind of employs them to be his, ah. his mini soldiers so they don't run too much riot over these two territories. Yeah, there's a particular scene when Lil Z has to confront one of these small children to try and teach him a lesson and that is extra that was extremely extremely hard to watch yeah. that one but i would say if you're listening to this and you're thinking well why the hell would i watch this <laughs> there's no doubt about it if you're not good with violence you won't have an easy ride but it is also worth saying it's not gratuitous it's not violence for the sake of violence this this is a film which is very much grounded in the in in, in this very real life environment and i think it is important to say to back that up as i say with the fact that this film was very much known for the fact the cast literally came off the streets yeah and were in this film i'd also want to say what helped me to get more of a grip on it is a documentary that was made 10 years after City of God. And you can find this right now on Netflix. 
It's called City of God 10 Years Later. And it's a really nice documentary that does exactly that. It, it interviews all of the cast and you see where they are now. And Sarah is incredible. It makes you realize how real that whole film was. That whole film was. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And that Which is fact, scary. Scary to think it is it's like that. Re- it's knowing really, it's like that. It's really scary. And that was the point of a lot of the cast members in it. And, and one, um, you know, effectively, s- some of them, have you know went on to tv film careers very very few it has to be said yeah but for most of them this was a it was a huge cultural shock the reception of this film because it was nominated for academy awards it, you know these kids who were literally themselves in the slums one minute and in Cannes uh for the film premiere like a year later um, and in the documentary, the, the kid who plays Rocket tells this amazing story of like, there I am in Cannes, being like seeing Ferraris everywhere, you know, flying first class and having like cameras in your face. And he said, literally, the next day, I'm back in the, in the favela, watching rain drip through the roof onto the floor, thinking, what, what, what the hell? And so there is quite an important story to be told, I suppose is what I'm saying. It's not for everyone, but yeah, it's a pretty, pretty incredible piece of cinema, I think you have to say. Yeah, I mean, I had to take a couple of days to think about what I would rate this film. It had so many different emotions in it. It was beautiful. It was well acted. I did think, wonder if they came from the slum, and they obviously did. I would give this film a 7 out of 10, I would say, which um, initially I was thinking, do I give it lower because it's not my cup of tea, not my kind of film that I would like, but because it was so well done, I wanted to score it slightly higher. I I agree with you. I know I'm going to give it 7.5. To be quite honest, I really grappled with this as well because, as I say, the first time I saw it, it it properly blew me away. Like, probably, like, had the kind of impact that I remember a film like, you know, like Reservoir Dogs had on me when I saw it at the cinema. When I watched it again, I don't know if it was a small screen, it didn't have, the, it didn't have as much impact. And I, and I think I was struck by how difficult it was to grab hold of this story and go with it. But it's strange. Having watched the documentary, it kind of helped to give more context to the film and in some way it then resonated even more. So that's why I'm going to give it 7.5, but I know that seems daft because I had to watch another documentary about the film to almost then give it something more. But but on the whole, I'm with you. I I give it that mark because it was just so beautifully made. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Should we move on to Aliens then? I think we should. (sighs) I think we should. In a strange way, Going from City of God to Aliens seems quite liberating. <laughs> <laughs> doom and gloom, more doom and gloom. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is more kind of this pop, more fake. large popcorn adventure, <laughs> gloom and doom. So Aliens is one of eight Alien films. So you've got Alien, Aliens, Aliens Three, Alien Resurrection, Alien versus Predator, Aliens versus Predator, Requiem. Prometheus, Aliens, uh, Covenant as well. So you've got eight of them. I, I didn't realise there were so many, actually. I don't, I don't think I've watched all of them either. I think there's certainly a case to completely forget about some of those in the middle, to be honest. <laughs> but technically speaking, <laughs> there are a the lot of ones. them. 
the early ones are good. So the first Alien film was done in 1979 and it was directed by Ridley Scott, which is uh, Sigourney Weaver is in a spaceship called Nostromo and picks up a distress call uh, from a moon. They go and investigate and they discover a hive colony of unknown creatures and uh, the ship's computer then identifies actually it wasn't a distress call, it's a warning signal. And then the crew are attacked by the alien, <laughs> basically. Sigourney Weaver's character, Ellen Ripley, gets away. And that's where we catch her at the start of Aliens, which was developed in 1986, quite a few years later, actually. And uh, Ripley has been hypersleep for 57 years. Face doesn't change, hair doesn't really change, which I'll go on to a bit later on that note. So the moon that they've visited before has been colonised. Uh, there's about 60 to 50 families living there, um, which is really concerning because obviously there's alien or aliens were on there originally and now they have even more unfortunately they've lost contact from this mother mothership and they go and investigate uh, this time ellen ripley is joined by a group of marines and they go onto the moon lv426 very clearly labeled in the film <laughs> um <laughs> This time, though, with the, with the Marines, um, they've all got all sorts of personalities, I have to say, which is quite entertaining, some of them. Um, and it's very much 80s film style, you know, reminds me a little bit of um, Police Academy, some of these, these characters in this film. But when they investigate the space colony, it's deserted, apart from one child called Newt, who's lost her family. They've all died by these, by these creatures, basically. And then there's a big battle between the aliens and the Marines and Ripley. What did you think then, Rob? Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of Marine so. dialogue you get. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. I went back to watch Alien. I felt, I felt it was only my duty to watch the first film. Not that, in all honesty, it, it's really required. Basically, it's scorny. We were going back to the same place, and instead yeah. of one alien, there's lots of aliens. But they're both very different films. In the trailer to Aliens, which I watched today, the tagline was, this time it's war. And then I thought, <laughs> well, that, that's pretty much right, really. The, the, it the, is, it the, is. The first, you know, this is like a pumped up, militarised alien, really. There's a documentary which I'd recommend people watch if, if they want to delve into it. There's a making of uh, Aliens documentary you can find out on YouTube, which is... Look at you with your documentaries. I know, check me out. <laughs> Anywhere where I can steal any kind of, you know, trivia or insights, Sarah, you know me. Um, I know, but I have, I have actually properly immersed myself in both these films this week. I feel like I really need to move on with my life, but it, they have made a bit of an impact, I have to say. Yeah, I, it was said in the documentary, I can't remember if it was Cameron, it, Alien was all about the horror, this was designed to be about the terror. So, yeah. two different directors, and I didn't say that. First one done by... Ridley Scott, second one di done by James Cameron. James Cameron. And James Cameron apparently had to prove himself to the crew. This was filmed in Pinewood and it was made by the same crew who worked with Ridley Scott. And because of the success of that film, 
they didn't like the idea of some American coming over to uh, to film the sequel. And apparently James Cameron uh, set up a screening for them all to go and watch his latest film, which just happened to be Terminator, uh, to try and prove <laughs> a point that he was pretty good at his job. Uh, apparently most of the crew didn't even bother turning up. But anyway, I think his point was proved. And in actual fact, the film is very uh, much in debt to the world building that we saw in Alien. But this really is, as I said before, far more pumped up. The weaponry that these space marines, I suppose, have it at their disposal awesome. is... Awesome. What, exactly. <laughs> what awesome. Awesome. Kind of reminded me you know, marine-like characters you see, you would see in a film like Predator. You know, they all had larger-than-life characters. The, the weapons they had were outrageous. How they built these weapons uh, is worth looking into because it very much seemed like they found a weapon and then they just dressed the outside of it with something futuristic and then they just went off and used it. So, yeah, I found from a world-building point of view, it looked amazing, absolutely amazing. I love the fact that, you know, when they come down to the planet it's it's not kind of beautiful and pristine and it, it's it's like they're coming down in a storm yeah yeah you know what i mean you never really you can't really see much it's all about the you know the shadows and it's derelict menacing and as i say there's a lot of focus on the weaponry this was non-stop it's absolutely yeah. non-stop it's set piece after set piece uh, and I just found it an absolutely raucous ride, really, from start to finish. But I thought the CG was pretty good because it didn't look like a, a fake spaceship landing on a on a moon. It looked all very seamless and and was so brilliantly done. It's you know it's great from considering it's done in the 80s and now look at us 2020. Totally, and it's worth noting that this was nominated for seven Academy Awards. One of those was for Best Actress for Sigourney Weaver, which was the first movie ever oh. where an actress received a nomination in an action movie. And obviously, people oh. you know hark back to Sigourney Weaver's Ripley as being a real turning point in cinema in terms of the role. Mm -hmm. um, that strong female lead is what those I, films are really known for. Yeah, and on that, I think the whole film was a bit of a girl power film, to be honest. Um, you've got, obviously, Sigourney Weaver as Ripley. You've got Vasquez, who's a strong female frontline Marine who, who carries the heaviest of all, of all weapons, I would say. And uh, there's even a quote in it. Did you know you're, you're like a man? And, or, or does anyone call you a man? I think that's, that was shared in the, in the locker room. On, on the ship and then Newt as well um she although she was a child she knows how to survive on the ship and she knew her way around the ship and could show others as well and then obviously you got the, the mother mother alien queen bee who's uh you know um protecting all her aliens and and so it's you know fight between the two ladies there really yeah oh, power. i know i i i what I liked about it, and you get this a lot in the films of the 80s with, you know, with uh, a lot of these action films, the whole tee-up, when, when Ripley, have, she's, she's trying to convince the Marines that you have no idea what you're about to walk into, where they've got all these big weapons and they think, you know, nothing can stop us. And it's just the fact <laughs> that you know, right, okay, so you're all going to die. It's just really a question of like, which order is it going to happen and, and how's it going to go down? And you, but there's no hiding it. You know, that's the premise, but it's very, it's very yeah. enjoyable 
kind of watching how each one plays out because the deaths are <laughs> how would you describe the death I know. I know. well that's that's the that's the weird comparison to, between city of god which we know is a true story and it shocked me to aliens which we know they're all gonna die but they're just characters they're not real and so you know it's it's for me it's easy watching it's yeah, very bizarre but it is bizarre because the nature with which these people die <laughs> is far more, far more concerning than just a straight gunshot <laughs> that you get in City true. of That's God. That's true. That's true. I mean, the way in which some of these people <laughs> hang up, they hang up their boots is quite, is quite, is quite disturbing. Who's, who's um, your favourite character? Ah, oh, I did like the Marine Sergeant. And I did like Bill Paxton, who plays Hudson, only because the number of times he says, game over, man, game over. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, okay, we get it. We get it. This is this yeah. impending doom yeah. that just constantly yeah. runs through it. Just, just complete goon, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, you've got, I mean, you've got to love Sigourney Weaver, obviously, that goes without saying. She, she's, she's amazing in it. She's amazing. I did like Bishop, and if, you've seen the, if anyone who's seen the first film, of course, the android role is reprised here in the form of bishop in the first film well i'm not going to give anything away just in case anyone hasn't yeah, seen stadium but the role of the two androids in both films are quite different um both just as impactful i'd say um you talked about the special effects the way in which the androids how should we say gory <laughs> the, way, the, the, way, the way the androids are beat their baker should we say is um. quite um it's I think quite... there was a lot of milk and, and porridge used at the end of that milk and film. milk and yogurt apparently. <laughs> it actually, it apparently, yogurt? apparently right. was milk and yogurt. In actual fact, um, <laughs> As blood. The, the actor who played Bishop he got food poisoning because of the amount of um, no. milk and yogurt he had to consume in order to execute one of the key scenes in the film. Wow. I know, and it, wait, like you talk about the CGI, there was there was obviously a lot of compositing that was done in the film, but very little, you know, nothing like the kind of visual effects you'd mm -hmm. you'd see today. And it, the, the actual fact, the two Oscars it won were for sound effects editing and visual effects, and that really is what this film is about. It, it's how they made this film look look as good as it did, and they did a lot of it with miniatures, um, a lot uh, of it. Okay. Even the vehicles, a lot of them were, were small, tiny models that were built in various sizes and then composited onto, you know, projected images. And when 20th Century Fox watched the first cut or, or, or some introductory cut of some of the sets, they complained that it looked like all the money had been spent on all these, like, grandiose sets. But in actual fact, that what they were watching was miniatures. They just had no idea. They couldn't even tell. So that, I think, was really sent a signal that this film was going to be something quite special. Interestingly, as well, all of the cast working on the film, when they when they came onto the main set, this is filmed at Pinewood and also in a disused gas works in Acton, they knew that they just had a sense this was going to be a, you know, a big film, and of course they were right. I found the um, yeah the special effects and the vehicles and the guns and all that stuff very futuristic, but I still felt they were a little bit in the eighties and nineties with the costume designs. <laughs> one was being any sort of future film you see today even when you when they produce them for the 100 star trek to uh, alter carbon for example they seem to have as collars on suits stuck up in you know in the air and that seems to make them look futuristic and it, it's just so common 
in all of these futuristic kind of TV programs and films. So I thought, that's what that one. The hair, very Buffon, American style 80s hairdos, which they could have done, you know, given her a skinhead or something like that, which they do do in the third one. And then also a Pones, um, who's the flies the spaceship at the start, got very Top Gun style glasses, sunglasses in deep space. What is that? Very important. It's very important, I think. <laughs> it was because, as you could tell when you're watching the film, it's so bright. <laughs> Yeah, and what I love actually is James Cameron pulled along his P5000 powered workloader to Avatar. Uh, that that same vehicle, it's not really a vehicle, what would you call it? It's a power loader. It's a power loader, uh, yeah. Yeah, but he carried that through to the next film um, that he did, which is uh, looking at space and fantasy, really. I would like to say, though, that it does have the coolest car, the armoured personnel carrier they used is awesome i think it reminded me of one of the modern day batmobiles in exactly in the, the recent in the recent trilogy i don't know if it was in batman begins but it was just very minimalistic it was almost like it's come back into fashion now it is that kind of cool mm. and that was a that was a 747 touring vehicle that they just basically put a shell on and that yeah. was it but no i just thought coolest coolest car yeah. i've seen for a while Generally, the whole film's cool, really. I, I really like the film, actually, and I could watch it. It's one I can then put it down and watch probably, give it about a year, and I can watch it again. It's yeah. one of those type of films. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the premise is just so simple, isn't it? It's just so yeah. simple. Yeah. yeah, it's just a joy a joy to watch, even though it's the 80s. Yeah, you can tell it's the 80s, but it still stands up. The alien, the alien is, the queen alien is terrifying. The aliens are terrifying, even though, you, you know, they look a bit daft around the edges, not surprisingly. But at its heart, it, it is a pretty terrifying film. What I find interesting, though, is, is that Aliens is a 15, and The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, last week's review, is an 18. I think Aliens is far more gory than The yep. Good, The Bad the Ugly. I totally agree. But I don't know whether the ratings are set and not ever reviewed, because mm. you're right, that doesn't seem to that doesn't seem to make sense. You would have thought The Good, The Bad the Ugly would have been updated with a, a lower yeah. rating over time. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what are you going to rate it? Aliens, what, what's the rating for you? Mm. I'm going to give it 8.5. 8. 8.5. 8. 8. 5. It's wow. just, I don't know. It's just, it's just such an iconic film. And you watch yeah. it and you kind of know it's an iconic film. Sigourney Weaver, like another landmark performance. Probably it's one of those films that is considered to be better than the original. There aren't many of them. And so, yeah, I'm going to go, I can't believe, I actually can't 8. believe, 5. I can't believe I've done that, but I'm going to go 8.5. I'm going to give it 8 out of 10, simply because there's too much cheese to give it 8.5 in my, in my books. That's but fair enough. I, That's I, fair I still enough. liked it. I still like top film for me so far anyway, out of, out of all of them. Yeah. Yeah, a very thought-provoking film in City of God that was quite tough and just a right old hoot in Aliens yeah, yeah, with plenty okay. of gore and terror. So, Rob, shall we pick the films for this week? Let's do it, Sarah. Great. Right, so, <laughs> so I have my piece of paper. I'm going to randomly select one. And I have chosen comedy. Right. There are 23 in the comedy 23. list. Wow, you like comedies. Uh, okay, I am going to go for number five. Number five is Alive. It's Love Actually. 
Love Actually. Oh, that's a good one. Yay. I like Love Actually. actually uh, that is available to rent on Amazon. People probably will have it on DVD. You can also... You can also rent it on Google Play, YouTube, Microsoft, Apple, so shouldn't be too much trouble watching that. Obviously, it's kind of known for being a Christmas movie, but hey, who, who, you can't get enough of Love Actually. There we go. How about that? Going from, <laughs> we've, gone, we've, we've gone from City of God Aww, in Aliens. To Love Actually. To Love Actually. Oh, there's lots of uh, memorable songs in that one as well, if I recall. I don't have to do a sort I don't have to tee up what love actually is all about, do I? No, no. No, let's not bother. Right, so... Give me a genre. Music or musical? Ooh. Ooh. Musical, musical. I've got four. Four? Wow. Not many, sorry. Not much no, choice. Don't, don't apologise, four's enough. Right, I'm going to go for number four then. Very good choice. It is Whiplash. Oh, have you seen it? Yes, I have, and I do like this film. Yeah, so it's 2014, Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. Uh, A cracker of a film, actually. Um, So I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I remember seeing that one at the cinema. Walking, uh, it's one of those films I walked out of thinking, "Wow, what just happened there?" That was. It's a proper great film. So I've never seen it again. So definitely going to look forward to that one. And it's to rent or buy from all, pretty much all online channels, or you may have DVD or Blu-ray version of it already yourself as well. And I have to give a shout out to Mr. Toomey for lending me the City of God DVD this week. So thank you very much for that. Cool. Right. Well, I think that pretty much does us for this week. It does. So I'm looking forward to Whiplash and a bit of Love Actually. And for anyone just listening... If this happens to be the first time you've listened to the podcast, then rewind, go back to episode one for the intro and start, yeah, start watching through some of the films we've already chosen and yeah, catch up. Um, we, Rob, are, Rob. Yeah. We've got a, uh, we've got an email now, haven't we? We have got an email, um, but you're going to, you're going to tell everyone what the email address is. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to do that now. We're going to do that now. <laughs> Okay, so if you have some feedback for us, contact uh, us at two small cokes at a large popcorn.com. Two small cokes at a large popcorn.com. I see what I see what we've done there, Sarah. It's yeah. very clever. Very yeah, clever. It's, it is. Only positive emails. Don't want any hate mail because that's not no. what we're about. No. Uh, cool. Right. Well, thanks for that, and look forward to catching up again next week. Bye bye.